Okay, so we're going, as you know, we're going back and forth between uh, Judges and Galatians. So if you're just joining us, welcome. So far, it's been a great adventure. We're just getting into the text. So this is going to be our second time to look at Judges. We looked at Galatians for the first time last week, Judges for the first time before that. All we have seen so far in Judges is the introduction. So we're actually this morning into the first judge. Uh, we're going to look at them. And the way that we're going to compose this or work our way through judges, we're just going to take and highlight the more um, extravagant judges. <laughs> the ones like Samson and Ehud and some of those that we might not even know about, uh, like Deborah. Well, we do know about Deborah, but they're, we're going to look at their lives. And then we're going to take Galatians, kind of a, a message, a clear-cut message that might coincide with that life. And so today we start our first judge. His name is Othniel. Um, and here's how we're going to begin. So these past two years have impacted all of us. Amen? Yes. And it's not over, right? It's not over. Massive change continues to come at us like one monster wave after another, does it not? And these massive Waves that come at us like one wave after another, they're, they're pretty comprehensively powerful. And they have the ability to beat us down. Uh, these massive waves are beyond you. They're beyond your powers. They're beyond our, your abilities to control. And they seem like and they feel like they can drown you on the spot. Some of you feel like you're just holding on while the undertow is underway in your life. Some of you have had waves crash over you right now, and you are somewhere careening across the bottom. Has everybody, anybody ever been caught in an undertow? You know what that feels like. No control. Some of you are caught in the riptide. Some of you are being beat down. You've come up for breath, and as soon as you do, another one pounds you, and you're coming up for breath. They can drown us, these massive monster waves. They can drown us spiritually. They can drown us mentally. They can drown us emotionally. They can drown us relationally. They can draw, drown us ideologically, politically, culturally, institutionally. There's a comprehensive drowning effect that these massive waves can have on us. So the question right now is, are today's massive monster waves drowning you? Are they drowning the church? This week I talked to several pastors. One of them is thinking about a possible ministry change. In other words, he's at a church right now, and he's thinking about... I need to move to another pastoral setting, another ministry setting. So he talks to a church consultant in our tradition. Church consultant helps churches connect to pastors, helps pastors connect to churches, and there's a possible call, a possible work that God's doing, and he brings them together, and there's a new ministry and a new situation for a pastor and for a church. And so the conversation that this person had that I talked to said, it went like this. I said, hey, are there any church openings? Oh, yeah. 
the consultant said. Plenty. Pastors are falling like flies these days. Why are pastors dropping like flies? The conversation continues, and the church consultant asks, So, you know, what are you thinking, pastor? (laughs) Tell me where you're at. Give me a feel for what you are thinking about your future and about your call. And the pastor says, well, I'm extremely tired, and I don't know if I want to keep doing this. So I'm not sure what's next, to be honest. The consultant says, yeah, that's the consensus of most pastors I talk to today. Now, you need to know this is our tradition. (laughs) Our tradition. And you need to know that our tradition has like one of the top pastor retention realities of all traditions currently. Are today's monsters waves Drowning you and drowning the church. All right, so let's move on from pastors. Forget those dudes. Let's move on. Who cares about those dudes anyway? Let's move on. Let's go to churchgoers. And let's go to churchgoers from all traditions and all denominations of every stripe. So it doesn't, and every ism. What ism are there? Presbyterianism is their Methodism. Whatever it is, all stripes, all traditions, all personality flavors, all denominations. Let's go to churchgoers. How many have quit God over these past two years? How many have quit church over these past two years? How many are drowning? Okay, so let's move on from pastors to churchgoers. Let's go to the mission and message of the church. Has the mission and message of the church changed over these past two years? How many missions and messages have quit the gospel, replaced the gospel, added something to the gospel, lost confidence in the gospel? How many messages and missions are now ashamed of the gospel? To use Pauline language. How many have moved on to something more than the gospel, like social justice? Of course, defined a certain way. Like a a political ideology or a political agenda. Or or, or a COVID agenda. Like we are going to vaccinate and you are going to mask every single person on this planet and you will like it. Or the other agenda, don't tread on me. I tend to be more in that camp. Or like spiritual disciplines, right? Good stuff. Small groups or like the church itself. You You can move off the mission and message of the church to the church itself to the church's traditions and the church's authority. You can move on to musical preferences. You can even move on to the Holy Spirit. So just time out real quick. The Holy Spirit 
never moves off the mission and message of Jesus. So if you've rediscovered the Holy Spirit, I can say to you, you just rediscovered Jesus. That means you rediscovered the gospel. Maybe, maybe we've moved off in mission and message to biblical principles. Maybe we've moved on to being a good Christian and morality and avoiding certain sins. Maybe we've moved on to doing ministry. Has the mission and message of the church changed over these past two years, I'm asking? Are today's monster ways drowning you and drowning the church? Here's what you need to know. This text, this text is for everyone trying to breathe underwater. Are you trying to breathe underwater this morning? This text is for you. Please stand for the hearing of God's word. Starts at Judges 7. Again, this is the first judge. So, and the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asheroth. Uh, the Baals is the storm god, and the Asherah is his, consor- his consort, his girlfriend. They act married, and they're not. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of Cushan Rishathame, king of Mesopotamia. And the people of Israel served Cushan Rishathame eight years. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel who saved them, Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. The spirit of the Lord was upon him, and he judged Israel, and he went out to war, and the Lord gave Cushan Rishathame, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand, and his hand prevailed over Cushan Rishathame. So the land had rest for 40 years. Then Othniel, son of Kenaz, died. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So, Lord, we thank you that you are with us. We thank you that you show up in your word. And so this morning we're asking for all of us, for all of our sakes, that you would show up. And, Lord, we thank you that you delight to show up in your word, that this is where you meet us. This is where you connect with us. This is where you are. This is where you're found. So, oh, Lord, show up, Jesus, we pray. And it's in your name, amen. Okay, so are today's monster waves drowning you? Are they drowning the church? Look at verse 8. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. He sold them in the hand of Cushan Rishathim, king of Mesopotamia, and the people of Israel served Cushan Rishathim eight years. Whew, what a name, right? Good night. I had to practice that. I don't, still don't think I got it right. Cushan Rishathim is a chilling name. It's a chilling name. When his name was mentioned in the ancient world, it was like a death eater just entered the room. And all hope got sucked out of you. All life got sucked out of the room when Kushan Rishathim walked into a tent. 
It means double evil. It's probably, he probably gave it to himself, but I don't think so. Legend, tradition has it. His victims named him that. Double evil. It's also a stunning wordplay because two evils will come out of Mesopotamia later in Israel's history. Do you know what those two evils are? Evil number one, Assyria. Evil number two, the Babylonians. Both will single-handedly decimate, disintegrate, decreate Israel. Assyria will come first, take out the top ten tribes, the northern kingdoms. The Babylonians with Nebuchadnezzar will come next and take out Judah and the last southern tribes. So it's a stunning, chilling name. Kushem Rishathim in this text and in the future of Israel drowns Israel, decimates Israel, decreates Israel. It's like, but if you notice the description of them, first of all, this is a very matter of fact. This is the most uncolorful commentary you're going to get of a judge. <laughs> I mean, it's so clinical. It's so precise. It's just like the facts. No colorful commentary. I mean, there are judges that I am going to be embarrassed to talk about what's happening in the text. I will be embarrassed. I know that's going to be a shock for some of you. But when you get to him, he's described as king, king, king. How many times did we hear his name in the text? I mean, can't you just say he? Couldn't we just have a pronoun and get a little relief from having to say his name over and over again? Because he dominates this text. He's king in this text. He's lord in this text. The language of Kushem Rishathim is God. He has godlike power over Israel. That's why his kingship is mentioned over Israel over and over again. It's like he has godlike control over Israel. That's why Israel said in verse 8 to serve him. Now I want you to think about this. More, I want you to feel this. When you're drowning in fear or you're drowning in anxiety, you're drowning in some overwhelming, overpowering emotion. Doesn't it feel like it has godlike power over you? Doesn't it feel like you're serving fear? You're serving anger? You're serving vengeance? You're serving lust. When you must have something, let's say like you've got to have respect. Or you, you've got to be appreciated. Or you've got to have your political ideology win. Or you need there to be no more emotional or physical pain in your life. Let's say you need that. Doesn't it feel like whatever it is that you need has godlike power over your life? Godlike control over your life? Doesn't it feel like 
You're serving your need for respect. You're serving your need for success. You're serving your need to be important. Israel's drowning. The monster wave is Kushan Rishathim, double evil. What is your Kushan Rishathim? What's your double evil? Did you notice the therefore in verse 8, though? This is what's in, it's just stunning. Even the Hebrew has grammar stuff going on, which is just crazy because it's mostly like a storytelling narrative structure. It doesn't, God in the grammar's not as easy to see as like in the New Testament. But look at the therefore in verse 8. Therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them in the hand of Cushan Rishathim, king of Mesopotamia. And the people of Israel served Cushan Rishathim eight years. The therefore, do you see that at the beginning of verse 8? You know what that means? The therefore means Kushan Rishathim isn't Israel's ultimate problem. This is stunning. Do you see this? This is incredible. It means something that comes before in verse 7 is actually the ultimate problem, the ultimate reason, the ultimate devastation, the ultimate monster way, the ultimate evil. But right here, this is incredible. We need to pause. We need to feel this. You need to think this. Because Israel thinks Kushan Rishathim is the ultimate problem in their life. The conversations outside tents and around campfires and with the family is like over and over again, Kushan Rishathim. He's the problem with the world. His political party is ruining everything. Just like we think anxiety or fear is our ultimate problem, or anger is our ultimate problem, or pornography is our ultimate problem, or we feel like not having a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a romantic relationship is the ultimate evil in our life. Just like we feel COVID is the ultimate evil in the world. Do you see the hope in this, though? This is, this is so phenomenal. This means that 99.9% .9 of the time, what we think is the problem in our life is not really the problem in our life. What we think is the double evil in our life and the ultimate evil and the ultimate issue and the ultimate breakdown and the ultimate darkness in our life is actually not. Please hear me. It doesn't mean it's not dark. It doesn't mean it's not bad. It doesn't mean any of it. That it's not being felt and it's not real and it's not devastating. But do you see the hope in this? This is phenomenal. In other words, drowning might not be as complicated as it seems. This might mean that fear and anxiety and overwhelming emotions are not as complicated as they seem. 
This might mean that the need for attention that you have is not as complicated as it seems. Maybe the chaos of the past two years are not as complicated as they seem. Maybe the church losing its mission and message is not as complicated as it seems. Because let's face it, everything today is so complicated. Physics, of course it's complicated. Right? Marriage. What man understands their wife? Rick? Yeah, I saw it. Gilbert? Colin? <laughs> Coffee! Coffee! What size, sir? Trenta? <laughs> Venti? Grande? Tall? I'll take that one. Even evil is complicated today. Some say evil's a mental illness. Some say evil's a personality disorder. Some say evil happens because of something bad that happened in the person's childhood. Some people say it's a bad gene, it's bad DNA. Some people say, the devil made me do it. Some people say, it's not their fault. Some people say evil is the oppressor. Some say, who knows, it's so complicated. Do you know what this text says? Evil's not complicated. This text is saying, your ultimate problem is not complicated. This text is saying, evil is forgetting God. This text is saying, our ultimate problem is forgetting God. This is phenomenal. This is breathtaking. This is so uncomplicated. It's like, do you see what can happen? We can actually sit down and look at what's going on in our lives, and we can look at what's going on in our relationships, and we can look at what's going on in the world, and in one sense, yes, there's some complicated, complex stuff. But in an ultimate sense, in an ultimate reality answer, no, it's really simple. The double evil in the world, the ultimate evil in the world, the ultimate problem in the world is forgetting God. Verse 7, and the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Okay, what is the evil? What did they do? They forgot the Lord their God. What's the evil? They forgot the Lord their God. No, no, no. What's the evil? Everything's falling apart. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Ashtoreth. Now watch what happens. When you forget God, it's not that you just don't have a God. You now will look for God in anything and in anyone and anywhere. The possibilities are endless. Right? You can certainly create a religion if you want to. You can 
you can get together a belief system and everybody kind of agree on the belief system and then everybody adheres to it and that could happen. Or you could have your own private philosophy of life, that can happen. Or you can go through history and kind of scour the belief systems and the interpretations of reality that you think uh, match your personality and match the way you see the world, that could happen. Or you could just turn to like the need for respect and that functionally becomes your God. Or you can turn to sex, or you can turn to romance, or you can turn to, I need someone to accept me and love me. The sky's the limit. The options are endless. When we forget God, when Israel forgot God, they just turned and looked at Baal and they looked at Astra. <laughs> and they thought, that's a pretty good thing going on over there. And you wonder, what are you looking for when you're looking to these gods? Well, the text seems to say rest. It just, it makes a mention to rest. So maybe what everybody's looking for from God is rest. What Israel's looking for from God is rest. And when they forget God, they forget that he's their rest. And so then they look for rest in other places. And so there are things that we look to because we want our hearts to be at rest. We want our relationships to be at rest. We want our thinking and feeling to be at rest. In other words, we want to be okay. We want, we want to be a human being. But then what happens is, is when we serve the Baals, therefore the Baals then start rolling all over you, the Kushem Risha things. So what happened was, is Israel's heart forgets God. Israel then turns to something else to fill its God-shaped, God-sized hole in its soul, the Baals and the Astra. And when that happens, these Baals, these Astra, actually aren't good gods. They actually don't love Israel. They don't forgive Israel. They're not merciful and compassionate, and they don't give rest. In fact, they do just the opposite. And so what happens is, here comes the therefore. Therefore, the Lord says, I'll give you what you want. I'll let you have what you want. And then in a, a historical manifestation, Kushem Risha theme actually becomes outwardly what Israel is doing inwardly. And that's why one judge scholar said that there ever was a historical picture of the truth of idolatry leading to slavery. This is it. But how did Israel forget God? That's what I'm asking this time. I mean, how did they do this? I mean, their parents were Joshua and Caleb, the Joshua-Caleb generation, the 90 percenters, the ones that did all the hard work. That's just their parents. So these are the children. These are the 10 percenters, right? How did they forget? Did they, they still went to church? They still believed in God? They still read their Bibles? They still had community groups, and they still tithed? What happened? How did they forget God? And the answer is the same way we do. Here's the answer. Whenever and wherever God is not clear to our minds and real to our hearts, that's where we forget God. Wherever God's not clear to your mind and real to your heart, that's where you forget God. So if the need for respect consumes your marriage relationship, God is not clear to your mind and real to your heart there. If financial security or insecurity consumes you and keeps you up late at night, 
then that's where God is not clear to your mind and real to your heart. Where you are desperate for control in your life or you are desperately out of control in your life, that's where God is not real to your mind and clear to your heart. That's where we forget God. Do you see how this works? So, some of you are thinking, but Jeff, this is so mystical, you know, God not being clear to your mind and real to your heart. How would I ever know that? And the text is actually saying it's not as complicated as you think. This text is saying one specific, concrete way that you and I can know where God's not clear to our minds and real to our hearts. And if you're wondering, am I passing this test or failing this test? I want you to know with all certainty so that you can feel really good you failed it. And so did the person next to you. So when we're looking at this, you and I are not looking at this like, man, am I in or out? Did I, did I not forget or did I remember? No, the answer is we all forget. So we're all in this together. So let's just forget trying to compare ourselves with each other and let's actually look for a real concrete solution from the text, meaning that you and I are in this together and that God loves us. And he actually wants to help us because this is why this is in the Bible. So he's saying to you and I, I'm going to give you a concrete example of how you can find areas of your life that are hurting you. Here it is. Where are you forgetting me? All those areas in your life that you're so out of control in. That's where you're forgetting me. And that's where I want to become clear to your mind and real to your heart. Right there. Are today's monster waves drowning you? Are they drowning the church? Answer, they always do when we forget God. Always. All right, is there a way out of being controlled? Is there a way out? Can we find a way out of this? Is there a way to breathe underwater? Is there actually, is there, is this text going to give you like some oxygen underwater? Is there a way in which God can become clear to your mind and real to your heart? That's what we're asking right now, and this is what we're going to end on. Look at Judges 3.7. They forgot the Lord their God. So here, do you see the answer? Instead of forgetting God, what? Remember him. So remember God. Remember God. The text is exhorting us. Remember him. Right? But how, Jeff? I mean, that's what I'm saying. How, God? How do I remember you? Remember, remember, remember? Okay. Get catechized? What do I do? I need something concrete, you're asking. Well, the answer is in verse 9. Did you see it? But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, what? Remembering God in this text means crying out to him. Remember me, he's saying. Cry out to me. Oh, God, I need you. Oh, God, I'm out of control in this area. Oh, God, the waves are pounding me, going over me. I think a psalmist even says this. I'm drowning. This text is saying if you want to remember God, if you want to 
start having God clear to your mind and real to your heart in certain areas of your life, cry out to him. Oh, God, help me. Oh, God, this is what's going on in my life. This is what's going on with me as far as I know. And, I, and it could be, I don't know what's going on with me, Lord. I just know I need you. It's crazy. But there's something else. There's something more he wants you to remember. Do you see this? It's even more concrete. He wants you to remember something incredibly solid, something incredibly life-changing, something incredibly clear, something incredibly, something that hits your heart like anything else. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord their God, the Lord raised up a deliverer. Literally, the text, the Hebrew says, a savior for the people of Israel who saved them. Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. The spirit of the Lord is upon him, and he judged Israel. You know what that means? Othniel put Israel on his back. Othniel said, Israel, everything hangs on me. I've got you. It's all on me. How do we know that that's what that means? Because look at the next sentence. He, he, he went out to war. Israel did not go out to war. This dude went out to war. And the Lord gave Cushem Rishathim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hands once. And his hand prevailed over Cushan Rishathim twice. Double evil, double death. It's so matter of fact. It's so unassuming. It's so powerful. It's so like God. Oh, I'll take this dude out. Othniel, take him out. Is there a way out of being controlled by all the Kusham Risha themes in your life? Is there a way out of being controlled over all the waves that are seeking to drown us for the past two years and seem like they're going to keep coming? Is there a way to breathe underwater through all of this? The text is clear. There's only one way. There's only one way out. Israel had to be delivered. The only way out for you and me is a deliverer. Do you see this? They couldn't deliver themselves. You can't deliver yourself. Probably the greatest evil of forgetting God is turning to ourselves. That's what we do. We actually think we can deliver ourselves. So Israel was not looking to God to deliver them, so they were looking to the Baals to deliver them. We're always looking for something to deliver us. We're always looking for someone to deliver us. And this text is saying, remember the deliverer. Notice that Othniel's not a politician. Do you see this? He's not a politician. Isn't that good news? Othniel is not an activist. Isn't that good news? He's not an educator. He's not an educator. He's not a doctor. He's not a scientist. He's not a social media giant. He's not a corporate executive who holds all the power keys. He's a deliverer. A deliverer. 
God becomes clear to your mind and real to your heart when he is your deliverer. When you remember your deliverer. Do you see how it ends? So the land had rest for 40 years, then Othniel, son of Kenaz, died. That's pretty depressing, right? I mean, whew, matter of fact, you know, get over it, you people with emotions. I'm just telling you the facts, the text is saying. So Othniel is the first deliverer, and he's the ideal deliverer because he's, a, he's related to Caleb, remember? Caleb, you know, in the Bible is like perfect. So he's the ideal deliverer. All the deliverers that we're going to look at from here on out, it's downhill from here, folks. So if you're looking for, he's it. <laughs> it gets real spicy for the rest of them, as we're going to see. But there's only one flaw in Othniel. Do you see it? He died. He dies. You need a deliverer that never dies. You need a deliverance that lasts forever. Do you know the last words of the Bible and the last book of the Bible towards the very end of the Bible, another deliverer says, I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever and ever, that means my deliverance lasts. He delivers you from all your double evils. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. You're free from them. It doesn't feel like you're free from them. And emotionally and mentally, you struggle with them. It's okay. I'm telling you, you're okay. Not because you're okay, but because he's okay. He's okay. He's okay. So you're okay. He's your deliverer. Remember your deliverer. Amen.